Well, Sundays in July gives us an opportunity to see faces that we don't always see. It's uh, possible that mine is one of those faces to you, because I spend a lot of my time in the basement of this building. Uh, I am uh, part of the high school ministry here at Grace Church. My wife, Jenny, who's sitting in the back, and our three kids will be packing up for Camp Regen in two weeks where we'll, we'll take about 400 high schoolers across the desert to New Mexico, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, but because of that responsibility and that true joy, uh, we don't see a lot of people above ground at Grace Church. And it is really fun when we get to uh, spend some time with many of you, and I've met some of you through membership classes and uh, even on the patio this morning, so it is good to see you. My role here at Grace Church is as a lay elder, so I have a a daytime job, and then I have a second job uh, that I think is a lot more fun in many ways uh, to to be part of the leadership of this church, and that's the the capacity that I serve in in high school ministry. I don't always give too much detail about my work and what I do when when I talk about things at church, because I think... Uh, There's a lot to talk about in terms of church leadership and just being a Christian uh, that occupies a lot of the time and space of the conversations that I have. Uh, But I will share, given the topic today, a little bit about what I do uh, in my day job. Uh, I I lead human resources for a global technology company. And uh, over the years of my career, that has kind of progressed Uh, To that point, uh, my career actually began in the public sector. uh, My first job was as an intern in the U.S. US House of Representatives. I worked for the Congress in the Rules Committee, and uh, that was the first time I had ever had a desk with a computer, um, and the computer was really big with a screen that went really deeply back. Um, And... From there, I uh, spent some time uh, in account management for a large banking conglomerate. I did uh, client relations for uh, a small advertising company uh, that was owned by a Christian man. And then I did HR, transition, got my MBA and did HR at a manufacturing company that made uh, tools to diagnose disease in blood. It was a very interesting place to work. Uh, and then I spent about eight years in various roles at the Walt Disney Company, that conservative think tank, the Walt Disney Company. Uh, first with the television networks, uh, ABC and the Disney Channel, and then with the animation studio there. For the past two years, I've served as head of HR for a company called LifeRay. It's a privately held global software company uh, that makes software that I can't explain. And... Uh, I kind of like it that way. Um, Most of my career has been in human resources, which means I get to interact with people all day, every day. And as you imagine, that exposes me to a lot of discussion about work. And even in my role here at Grace Church, when people find out what I do outside of Grace Church, I find myself in conversations about work. Should I take this job? Should I talk back to my boss? Should I send that email? Uh, even, here's what I do, what do you think I should do next? As if I'm, I have some sort of crystal ball about somebody's career. But it is a joy uh, to, to be able to talk about 
work with people. And it's created a bit of a passion uh, in me, not only to have those conversations, but really search scripture, but what does God say about work? And he has work all over scripture. In fact, you might say that work is either addressed or implied in almost every book in the Bible. So before we get too deep into this topic, I want to pause for, for a second and take a moment to think about the way you think about work. And it's going to be fairly painless, and it's going to give you an opportunity to meet someone next to you. So I have an assignment. Take a moment, find someone that you have not yet met or don't know very well who's sitting around you. Uh, give them your name. You can tell them your fellowship group if you have one. Sometimes that's a connection that people have. And then just one word that comes to mind when you think of the word work or when you think of the concept of work. So I'm going to give you about five minutes. Uh, find one or two people that you can share that information with, uh, and then I'll bring you back when it is time. So go for it. All right. Lots of energy in the, in the room. And, uh, and th- that's just such a good thing. It is always uh, fun to meet others and then to kind of uh, share a little bit that you may not normally share uh, with one another. Uh, we're going to do something uh, that I would call dangerous if I was in with a group with high schoolers. But I'm going to ask you all to take out your phones. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to trust that you won't get too distracted by whatever's on them. Um, open up a text message, a blank text message, like I show here. And uh, we're going to do a, 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 a quick survey. So what you have to do in order to set this up is you're going to submit answers through a text message. Raise your hand if you've done this before. Okay, yeah. So if, if you saw a hand raise, then that, they're your help desk for this. Um, in where you would normally put a phone number, you type 22333. That's basically the phone number that you're going to send to. So you see that up in the, in the top of the, the picture there. And then in the message, so the message that you're sending to that phone number, put... Matt, and it doesn't need to be all caps, but Matt P, M-A-T-T-P, and then the number, number's 184. And then hit send. Now, what should happen is, when you send, you get a response. And that means you're basically in the active survey, Right? So you're going to keep this window open on your phone as I ask you some questions. Anyone need the help desk? Very good. Okay. First, we're going to talk about work. Hi, someone said hi. Uh, if you send a message, it will come up on my screen. So uh, thank you. Hello to anyone. Hello. I bet it's Corey Williams. Um, here's what I would like you to put is that one word that you shared with whoever you met about work. 
what is the word that you shared about work? And let's let, just send that. And if there were multiple words that came up in your conversation, um, I'm seeing uh, time, I'm seeing opportunity, fr- frustrating, focused, discipline, stressful, intense, blessing. I mean, we were all over the board this morning, people. It is, okay, commitment. So no, the way this works is, the bigger the word, the more frequent it happened, right? So, um, so, you're, so responsibility, commitment, difficult, looks like time, stressful. These are all of the words that, you know, kind of the ones that are kind of getting, moving to the top are the ones that, that were the most frequent. Okay, so, so stop for a moment. You guys are... Yeah. I mean... I, I thought high schoolers texted fast. <laughs> so diversity of thought here and some blessing, some, some, some really great, you know, the responsibility of work. Dad, I love seeing dad on there, um, a dad who works, um, um, productive, daily ministry opportunities, discipline. And then you see some in another category, like difficult, tiring, um, hard, demanding. And you can see that in a fallen world, there's quite a difference of opinion about how, what work looks like. Let's, let's go to another uh, question for you. This is going to be a little different. It's, gonna, it's multiple choice. Um, what type of work do you do? And I, I kind of put five categories here. So you just use the letter, send the letter uh, that, you, that describes what you do. I'll give you a couple minutes to, to do that. Full-time t- job, part-time job, looking for a job, stay-at-home mom, and student. Student probably is also looking for a job, typically. Uh, so I think the majority of, of us uh, have a full-time job or are um, employed in some way, uh, and that informs a lot of the words that were on the previous page, right? So your experience in these categories will inform what your opinion is of work or what the word is that comes to mind about work. So the 4% of the moms probably were the ones that put hard, difficult, demanding, (laughs) time-consuming, right? I mean, there isn't a more time-consuming job than the 24-7 job of a mom. Let's ask another question. What type of company, those of you who are employed, do you work for? Public sector? Private sector, so that would be, public sector would be anything in government, maybe a public school. Uh, nonprofit, so that would be church, parachurch, even a private Christian school might fit in that nonprofit category. All right, this is, this is uh, coming together about what I would have expected, is most people uh, at our church work in the private sector. This might look a lot different if I were teaching in Sacramento or Washington, D.C., right? Uh, but in Los Angeles, most of us 
find work in the, in the private sector. We work for a company uh, that is owned and operated either uh, traded on the stock exchange or by an independent party, not the government. Also would look different if we're speaking in China. Where do you work? This is a new question because so much work went virtual over the last year and a half. So um, on-site versus fully remote, you don't really go in or you haven't gone in for a year and a half. Uh, Or this new thing they call hybrid, where sometimes you can come in, sometimes you can work at home. It's kind of up to you or up to somebody, but nobody's really sure who it's up to. I think that's where we are about now. All right. That, by the way, the, the fully remote and um, on-site and remote, that, that was not a thing two years ago. I mean, maybe a few people had remote positions, but a growing number of people whose work is actually at their house. And you can imagine the dynamics that that creates, and those of you who are living in it uh, know that the dynamics that that creates uh, that are kind of new issues that arise because of work. Let's, let's talk a little bit about um, what the world thinks of work. 58% of workers said this was their main driver for choosing a job. What do you think it is? Company mission, money, benefits, or vacation package? <laughs> I don't know if it allows you to select two, but I understand why you're saying that. So nobody thinks that you would take a job based on vacation package? (laughs) It's amazing how many questions I get about vacation time. Um, Money. Money is the number one main driver, but company mission is creeping up to a close second. Uh, We have a generation that entered the workforce about 15 years ago that thinks um, they'd rather make less and work for a company that meaned something Uh, And that something is a matter of opinion and perspective. It's creeping up there. Let's do another one. 81% of employees report they're looking for this right now. This was a survey taken in May. (laughs) I love the animation on this thing. It's just, you know, where, where we go first. All right, new jobs creeping up there. This also could maybe be indicative of what the room is thinking. I'm not going to ask that question. Um, So here's what's interesting. 81% of employees report they're looking for a new job. Uh, That points to contentment, right? Uh, Not only that does it point to contentment, it also points to the fact that there's just a constant yearning to find something worth in something, right? Um, so there's, uh, just to, to click down on that a little bit, the, the study showed 81% of employees would like to leave, maybe not actively looking. Uh, 52% of people are actively looking for a new job, which makes my recruiting team nervous. Because that means if we have people looking for a new job, 
That means the people are going to leave their current employment, which means they're going to get an onslaught of recruiting needs that they may not be able to keep up with. So uh, we've been watching that one closely at work. One in three employees cite this is the reason they don't like their job. Difficult boss, conflict with coworkers, boredom, company position on social issues. Again, I'm not going to ask if this indicates what your experience is at work. Um, So one in three, uh, this might be surprising. It looks like it might be surprising to you. One in three employees that were surveyed say they're bored. And um, uh, more information that's come out on that, uh, most of those employees spent spent two and a half hours or more during the day on social media or something else personal because they didn't feel like they wanted to do the work that they were given. Um, and then a close number two, what's, what's, what's become a bigger issue, is the company position on social agendas uh, is another reason why people say they don't like their job. Well, my company didn't make a statement about pride. Uh, well, my company's making too much of a statement about social justice, whatever it might be. Uh, because companies become more and more involved in that, uh, their employees... Uh, take issue with it uh, on either side of the fence. During the pandemic, nine out of 10 employees reported that. They like working from home better. They're unclear about job expectations. They became more stressed and anxious. They dislike their coworkers. So it is true that uh, many like working from home better, uh, maybe because they're the ones that are bored and they find something else to do instead of work when they're at home. Um, But it is C, they became more stressed and anxious. Let's just look at that figure. Nine out of ten. That's 90% of the workforce reported that they are stressed and anxious at work. It's a, I mean, we know that we are a highly medicated society because of that, uh, but that is a staggering number of people who, um, when they say their number one thing that's kind of keeping them up at night is stress and anxiety. This is the last one. Most employees believe it is their company's responsibility to take a stand against social injustice, treat their mental illness, provide child care, and, or pay premium wages. So, trick question. It's all of the above. So a survey was taken, and it had a list of maybe 40 things that employers should be responsible for. Um, Things like training used to be up at the top, like you got to train me. It's like number 10 now. People find that taking a stand against social injustice as an employee, that's more important to an employee than being trained on how to do their job. 
And, and the big one is treat their mental illness. Going with the last slide, because I'm so strength, stressed and anxious, you have to figure it out for me. You have to help me through the anxiety that you, employer, created in my mind about work. Really interesting. So all of these things. Um, and of course, uh, if any of you are leaders at a company, you've had one or more employees come to you about at least one of these things in the last six months. At least one, if not two, or, or you know, <laughs> if you're in HR, all, all of these things. There, perhaps, perhaps there are some issues that are related here, um, and, uh, and that could have a lot to do with it. We took a lot of time looking at these, and um, this isn't uh, meant to be a TED Talk or a lecture on uh, what work looks like, but I, I think it's important for us to understand what the world looks like, the world that 60 well, if you add the two, the part-time, full-time folks, that 80% of you are going into tomorrow. Tomorrow you will, you will go into, whether you're logging onto a computer or actively wa- walking into an office, you're walking into a world that cares about different things than we talk about here. And I recognize, because I live that, and, the, and the, the leadership of this church recognizes that that has become harder and harder and harder, even over our own lifetimes, even for those of you who are very young in the room. Really quick, rapid change. So we needed to take a look at that. So now we say, if that's what the workplace looks like, and the workplace does not aim to glorify God, if it's true that these statistics point to, they aim to glorify man. And so here we are with this charge that we ought to glorify God in the workplace. And we just looked at statistics that say that's just so countercultural. How do we do that? And so we need to look to scripture. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We are going to look at the very beginning. The Bible has a lot to say about work, as I mentioned. In fact, um, the teachings about work are numerous, and we'll only be able to look at a few. But as, the, as much as the Bible has to say, there's, there's a lot of wrong thinking even among believers, And so as we look through these points, we're also going to look at some common myths that I've observed as I've counseled men and women about their own work. And the reason we want to look at myths is because it is so important for us to have a right understanding of work. If your aim is to glorify God in the workplace, you must begin with what God designed work to be. And so as we looked at Genesis chapter 2, I want to highlight a couple of myths regarding the nature of work. One myth, that work is the result of the curse. Second, that work in a fallen world is futile. And that work is a worldly distraction. If only if I didn't have to go to work, I could share the gospel all the time. I could be here 
doing something at church every day of the week. I could lead a Bible study on every night. But work is such a distraction. I hear that a lot. And so we want to look at these common myths and say, what's the right way to think about this as we develop what God says and we understand work? And so uh, as, as Genesis 2, uh, I, should, I should turn to Genesis 2 as well so we can go through it together. So we know where we are. Uh, God has created the world in six days. And then Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All his work that he had done three times in three verses. Three times in three verses. Uh, Who's a hard worker? God. Harder than any of us are or ever will be. And by the way, we're going to get to this in a moment, but God didn't need to rest after that. I think we all recognize he has enough strength and energy that doesn't need the recharge. But both his work and his rest serve as an example to us and a model for what man ought to do with work. And so because we were created in his image, we can look to him with that model in mind. But first, let's take some time um, to see that, that when we look at the God that had created the work that he had done, what was that work? Let's drop down to verse 5. We get a little more color of what happened in those days during creation. So we're kind of going back and, and recapping some of the things that were happening during creation. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, so this is prior to the creation of vegetation, and no small plant of the field yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. The lesson here is God's plan for creation was incomplete without someone to work, right? So it's kind of, it takes a pause and it says, like, there was no man yet to do this, and God's kind of working through the, the, those hours of creation on that fifth and sixth day. And, and we get a little bit, it's almost like we're getting a, 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 just a highlight of something that happened in Genesis chapter 1 and a little bit more information. And so he did create man. Because it was part of his plan. What we learn from verse 5 is uh, there was no man yet to work the ground meant that that was part of his plan. He had designed the world with the idea that man would be created to come and work the ground. And so he did. He created man from dust in verses 7 and 8. And then he brought trees uh, with food and rivers to help cultivate. In verse 9 is the food, and, and the rivers are described in verses 10 uh, all the way through 14. Uh, and so all of this is starting to come together with the idea that this is going to be the setting where he will create man. He's essentially setting up Adam's workplace. 
right here. We think it's super progressive when an office offers trail mix and a soda fountain. God provided orchards and rivers for Adam. That was Adam's workplace. And so when we think about what God did to prepare Adam to come into this world, to prepare the world for the creation of man, we see that he did quite a bit, and it was kind of centered around the work that Adam would do. And so now, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So we have really 10 verses that are preparation. Man arrives, and the very first thing that he does is he gets a command to work. That is the first thing that happens to Adam. And we know from Genesis chapter 1 what that work was. He was naming the animals. His stewardship over creation was, was basically the charter of that work. But he was basically created and plopped right into that space, that workplace that God had made for him. And that was all before sin entered the world. So those of us who, want, who get a little bit uh, thoughtful about work and the nature of work right now may stumble into the thinking that work is a result of the curse. Perhaps the type of work that we endure is a result of the curse, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But work was part of God's plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. If we flip to chapter 3... Verse 17, we now know what happens next. So I'm not denying the curse. It happened. In chapter 17, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all your days all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work was part of creation, but it was a lovely kind of work. It was not a sweaty kind of work. It was pleasant and right. The rivers flowed. They irrigated without... Talk to the farmers in the Central Valley right now about irrigation, right? They have to do so much, and they have to contend with the, the world, politics, everything, just to get water to water their crops. Adam didn't have that problem until sin entered the world, until he sinned. The, the soil yielded so easily. There was no concern for Adam and Eve whether they'd go hungry. It kind of just replenished itself, and they were there to, to steward it. That's what you'd expect work to look like in, in paradise. And, it, and it, doesn't, it wasn't so. The fall changed all that. The ground became hard. It needed a lot of treatment before you, it could 
really yield anything to eat. Thorns and thistles got in the way of harvesting crops. So this pleasant work, this lovely work that God designed for us became unpleasant. The world is now corrupted by sin, which makes work hard. Hard was, a, was one of the bigger words on the, on the slide earlier. The Bible Doctrine book that came out of the seminary said this about work. Mankind would now labor hard, but the ground would work against him with thorns and thistles and would eventually consume him in death. That is the curse. The curse actually, what, what is most cursed is work. That is the biggest impact on the human experience, is the impact that the curse has on work. And the other two that I would say are on that list are marriage, which we learn uh, about a little bit, and, um, uh, and, and uh, uh, I think marriage is, is the one that is probably, I was going to say a few other things, but I think that's it. It's, it's work and marriage right? Uh, marriage, and, and, and we might say family, right? If, uh, if you asked Eve about her two sons, she might say raising kids. Um, so you have this dynamic that took what was great about creation, which was wonderful about work, and it ruined it. And Solomon, by the way, echoes this in Ecclesiastes. Um, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it. Um, Ecclesiastes 3 says, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet so that the man will not find out the work for which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And this is the kind of clincher. I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man eats, who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So Solomon's recognizing this toil is, is heavy. This toil is, is, is heavy. These burdens make you sweat. But then what he says is, every man who eats and drinks, who toils and gets something out of it, shouldn't see that as his own labor, but God's grace. And so the myth that work in a fallen world is futile is, not, is a myth because of God's grace. Work is not futile. It's cursed, but it's not futile because a cursed ground still yields. That's God's grace. He could have decimated earth with sin, but he allowed the fruit to still yield, and that's God's grace. That means that we, and, and by the way, the picture of hell is you toil and, and nothing comes of it. And so we're kind of somewhere in between, right? We have this cursed land, but it yields something. We still can build this. That's God's grace. And so when we think about work, Yes, we are working in a fallen world, but there can be success. It can yield something. And we should attribute that not to our own efforts, as Solomon is saying at the end of his life, uh, but a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3, I read 9 through 13. 
Work in a fallen world is cursed, but it is also a gift. And so when you go to work, you go because that's God's design, and he's made a way for you to, to, to enable you to reap some fruit, reap some harvest when you go. It's not all futile. And, and, and God's blessing is that even though it's different than he designed, it still yields something. It's not the reason you work, but it is a great blessing of work. Now, I want to go back to Genesis 2.15 for a minute, because I think there's, there's quite a bit more in this passage that's important for us to look, look at. So 2.15 says, The Lord God, I'll read it again, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. We know from verse 5 that during the first days of creation, there was no man to work the ground. And then once God has completed his work of creation, he places everything where it should be, the man in the garden. And where does he place man? Right in the center of it all. He, he gives man access to everything, the orchards and the rivers. He puts these fruit trees there that he can pick from, except for one. Let me know where that went. I often uh, watch my 10-year-old build these elaborate Lego things, contraptions and buildings. And it's once he has all of those put together that then he decides where all the little figurines should go. Well, this guy does that, so he should go there. And this, this person does that. And so then they fly. They're the aviator. I learned a lot about the aviators recently. It's usually Star Wars aviation these days. Uh, but he has such a specific purpose for which he builds all of these things. And, and God did that. And, um, and he made that work purposeful and specific and focused. And that did not change. We're still in the midst of God's creation. We have access to resources. And we have a purpose, which is a command that God gave in verse 15 Saying, you, saying, work it and keep it. These are action words. These are, these are, these are not just, you know, when, when you get the chance kind of words. These are action words. They're action words before the fall, and they continue to be our command. God did not change this command after the fall. He doubled down on it. So are you approaching, and that would be just kind of, that's, that's that, third myth, if we think that work is just a distraction from what God has actually given us to do, no. Work isn't a distraction from your family. Work isn't a distraction from your, jo- your church. Your work is God's command. It is your response to the same command that he gave Adam, that you must work, you must labor, and that labor just became harder. Are you approaching your work this way? In your mind, does your paycheck, or if you're a student, your report card, your garden, for those who actually toil against the ground, do you see things as fruit of your labor? Do you see those things as fruit of your labor? Or do you see them as gifts? If you get a paycheck, do you say, gosh, I really, I'm so glad I earned this. 
It's true, you, you did do something to get that paycheck, but do you recognize that the only reason that your work means anything, that yields anything, is because God, in his mercy, because of his grace, allowed that to happen? Why am I harping on this? Why, why are we not getting to the practical, how do I talk to my boss about my compensation? Because when you go into that conversation with your boss about your compensation, you better have a right understanding of work. And the grace of God in not taking away that opportunity from us when we fell, but actually allowing us still to produce something. So we start with the right understanding of work. The second is the right motivation for work. A biblical understanding of work will help you to develop the right motivation. Why do I work? Well, right now, you might be saying, well, okay, I get it. The reason I work is because God gave me that work. I get it. God allowed me to still produce something, even in a fallen world. And even with the knowledge that we're working under the conditions of that fallen world, it's, it's a little easy to, to fall into wrong thinking about what that should look like. In fact, I think some believers may see that the motivation is different now because of the fall. And so our motivation for work changed a little bit, as if the concept of work is still there, but the, some of the purpose is no longer valid because we're not just in a garden being stewards of kind of this perfect creation. And so maybe our motives are a little bit different because we actually have to, it's more about survival. I get that. But I think that could be a dangerous thing and it helps us to develop four other myths that I'll add to the list. If you don't understand the, the, the motivation or the purpose of work the right way, you may be prone to think that the purpose of work is to make money or the purpose of work is to share the gospel or the purpose of work is for Christians to be set apart. Now, I know, Grace Church, you're thinking, I know a verse for every one of those myths that could back it up. If you don't work, you don't eat. I get, I get it. But let's be really clear that those are outcomes, not the purpose. The point is that you, if you don't understand that kind of the genesis of work, um, you don't then understand the purpose of work, the reason why we were given work. Again, back to verse 15. It's important to highlight this in this context. The term Work in Genesis 15, when the command comes and and the command is work it and keep it, that term, work, in that context, translates to render to God. Not earn for yourself. Not do something hard. It literally translates to render to God. And so, okay, so now we're getting a little bit more information about what this command is. To render something to God, where are other places in in Scripture we see that? Well, when we're giving, like making a sacrifice or giving offering. 
it opens up that the purpose of work is not to make money. The purpose of work is to worship God. Because Adam didn't need anything, and he didn't need these three things. He needed to worship God. And so if our focus is to worship God, God, then the gospel opportunities, they're going to be the fruit of a godly work ethic. A worshipful attitude can point people to God, but they're not the purpose you go to work. The purpose of our work is to worship God. If we're rendering our work to God, it gives us a whole different reason for driving to work and probably a whole different attitude as we we drive there. God could have, by the way, made creation completely self-sustaining in the garden and outside of the garden. In fact, it was for a day and a half, completely self-sustaining. It didn't need man. But we needed work because that was part of the purpose of him putting us here. And what is the ultimate end of man? It is to glorify God and worship him forever. And God set it up for us in the garden and continued that setup outside of the garden that our end goal is to worship him with everything. That was also Adam's goal. It didn't change. It was a lot easier for Adam to worship God with the work that he was given pre-fall. Makes it a, a bit tougher. But we are here to worship him with everything we do, not just outside of those 40 hours. And it's important for us to recognize, like, if we're going to go to work and we're going to spend that amount of time and we're not there to worship God, wow, what are we doing? Why are we there? Why, are, why did God save us and then send us back into the workforce? It would have no meaning. Now, um, let's just be clear on, in the context, worship God doesn't mean that you're singing hymns in every business meeting. It is an attitude of worship. Rendering to God everything, your actions, your attitude, your words, your, all of your communications, written and otherwise, our worship to God. So think about that snarky email you're tempted to write. If that is something you are rendering to God as worship, are you going to send that snarky email? The eye roll. The eye roll has become very commonplace (laughs) in work. The eye roll. Is that worship to God? Is that the sort of thing that we would want to, if rendering to God is like giving our offerings, is that, is an eye roll and a snarky email or a complaint about your pay or really anything else on that list? Any of the things that we saw in the surveys, those, are those rendering to God what he deserves as our creator and savior? It's important to check our hearts on that and to have the right motivation for work. 
I want us also to think a little bit about um, what New Testament work looked like. And so if you turn to 1 Peter 2, we're going to set just for a moment on the motivation that Peter gives us as believers for work. And he addressed uh, Roman believers whose workplaces, by the way, were worse than ours. Um, I know that's hard sometimes uh, for some of you uh, to understand that there were far worse working conditions uh, than those that we have today. Um, It really in every regard, in in absolutely every regard. So in 1 Peter 2, and by the way, I'm I'm going to do this very quickly. I I had a little bit more that I wanted to say on this, and, and then I... I listened to Abner Chow preach on this a month ago, and I have to commend to you his sermon from Sunday night on this passage. You you must listen to it. Uh, So let that be the homework from this session. If you were not there on Sunday night to listen to Abner, um, just handle this passage so uh, wonderfully and in a way that really... um, convicted my heart. Uh, but, but Peter spends the first part of uh, 1 Peter 2 reminding his re- readers that believers are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, uh, to proclaim the excellencies of him because they were called out of the darkness into his marvelous light, verse 9. And then he told them to honor the emperor, that guy Nero, who at the time um, was arguably the single greatest persecutor of Christians ever. Um, The call is to honor him. And and that's all kind of foundational. Then we get to verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a, a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Suffering unjustly is something that nobody wants to do in this culture. Everybody has something to say about their version of suffering. I'm suffering because of something historical that happened to my people. I'm suffering because you don't understand me and what I bring I'm suffering because you, you don't understand my mental uh, capacity and the, the accommodations you need to make for me. Suffering is not allowed in our workplaces, of our, in our present-day workplaces. And yet, uh, this passage, which was given then and for us now, says that we are to suffer and patiently endure it. It speaks not only to action, but attitude. Because this isn't as much an action word as was given to, to Adam. This is, this, is just, this is endurance. This is perseverance. It speaks to a call for Christians over time to endure and figure out a way that they can still honor the people they work for. And just in case it wasn't clear, it's... It continues in chapter, or, uh, verse 21. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins 
in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. With Christ as our model, we seek to emulate him in all things, right? We want to be like Christ. He didn't threaten. He didn't revile. He honored God the Father as the only true and righteous judge. And so if we think about what it looks like when we, when we really fix our eyes on the purpose of work as worship to God, all of a sudden, things become less important. Our own rights become less important. We don't revile. We don't threaten. There's a number of people who have called me and said, um, do I have grounds to sue my employer? And, and listen, there are some things that are, are so egregious that you know, the law is really the only way. Um, and I understand. But those are exceptions, not the rule. In our highly litigious society, there are not enough people acting like Christ. He didn't threaten. He honored God as the true and righteous judge who would handle that for us. Why do we not recognize the blessing of a true and righteous judge who will handle things for us? I mean, how cool is it that we can say, yeah, that'll get handled, and I don't even have to worry about how. I know it will. But we, as employees, often like to take things in our own hands. Gossip is a good example of that. So it may not be that you're threatening to sue your employer, but you're bad-mouthing your boss all the live-long day. Can you believe what she said to me? I, can't, I don't have to put up with that. Or it may be even a little sneakier. Like, did you hear that in that meeting? Do you think that that's, that makes sense? The undermining is so easy and rampant. So this first Peter passage should cause us to do two things. One, consider our example before men. Jesus' testimony is that example. It's the essence of our salvation. The same should be true of you. You were dead in your trespasses, and then you're going to go and tell everybody else what they're doing wrong? No. You're going to give them the good news if there's anything to give them. And the second is it should grant us some perspective. Christians have suffered in workplaces for a long time. Uh, Today's American workplace is mild in comparison. So consider the conditions that concern you. Does the company offer free coffee? I can't believe it's Keurig and not fresh brew. (laughs) What about the 401k matching? Oh, they they took away our pension. I didn't get a raise last year. I know the CEO made a lot of money. That person just take a condescending tone with me. I don't deserve a condescending tone. The worst we can come up with is a condescending tone. And, and, and the people of, of Peter's day were being whipped at work, right? And really the worst that happens to us is a condescending tone or maybe a sleight of hand. It's just a, it's good perspective. And I'm not trying to belittle the woes of today's worker, I really, I understand it. I, I really understand it. I mean, lots of people want me to understand their woes when I meet with them at work. 
But I do mean to emphasize the difference. Work is hard. It's been hard since Genesis chapter 3. But that doesn't give us the license to grumble or complain. The Apostle Paul talks about this, right? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Not just like when we're at church <laughs> or even when we're at home. Well, okay, my wife said that, but I'm not going to grumble or complain about it. My kids, don't grumble or complain with your parents. No, everywhere, all things. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. So that you, why? It's your testimony so that you prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God. How will someone believe that you are a child of God if you're a whiner? There's absolutely no evidence. If you are a whiner, you can't present the gospel when you need to. So when we talk about being ready in season and out of season, it means with the attitude that you come to work with, not just when you decide to clean yourself up. Workplaces are a hotbed of potential entanglement. I talked about gossip, the social dynamics, the cultural grandstanding. If you work for a for-profit secular company, you know everything that's gone on the last year. Companies fully embracing. June was just a mess of LGBTQ memorializing Uh, social injustice, everything, and companies are taking huge stands. That, even that, and I understand your motivation is you want to bring truth, but it's often seen as grumbling and complaining. You have to be so careful, so gracious, so you have to take the long, you have to take the long road, not the shortcut to these sorts of things. This is a long game. You have to cultivate that understanding in other people that you are who you say you are in every way. And that comes with an understanding of your motivation. Finally, if you have the right understanding of work and it comes out of the right motivation, produces the right motivation for work, you're going to have the right approach to work. You're in First uh, Peter. Flip over just a few pages to James chapter 3. James 3. And we're going to start in verse 13. This book really, the, the whole book is so practical, right? The epistle of James. Um, and it, and it ha- helps to answer, in many ways, how, what should the life of a believer look like? So this is the, this is the application part of, of Sundays in July. We've established what work is and how that should motivate us. And now what do we do with that? And so I like to look at James, 13, uh, James 3.13 uh, for answers there. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who among you is wise and understanding? It's almost a rhetorical question. But one to prompt deep consideration. If wisdom is what we need, how can we have it? How are we sure to have it? How do we stand out in that wisdom? It's by having a right understanding first of God's word. So you need to know God's word. I'm going to give you five kind of ways that I think this passage shows us how to behave at work. First is before you ever get there. What do your quiet times look like? What's your time with the Lord look like? You have access to all the wisdom you need for work in the Bible. But we show up at work tired, maybe skipping a few days of that Bible reading. And we think that we can just make it happen. Studying, digesting, meditating on scripture, learning from it, growing from it, because we all need to be prepared. Not, we don't know what's going to come our way in a, in, a, in a work day. Even those of us who have really regular jobs, things surprise us. The workplace is a battlefield. Please don't go unarmed. And, and by the way, if you don't know who God is in all of this, then search the scriptures in God's word to understand why it's so helpful, because it will lead you to the one who wrote it. So please, if you're in this room and, and you're like, wait a minute, I don't, this is all new to me, and I don't really get why I would need to read the Bible before I go to work, uh, spend some time looking at um, the Gospel of John. Uh, that could be your homework. Because the workplace is a battlefield, and so is the rest of the world. Uh, and you are unarmed without the knowledge of the truth. So we, if we continue in verse 13. Uh, um, it says, let him show by his good behavior the deeds of gentleness and wisdom. Deeds are kind of the fruit of that work. Deeds are, are, are the fruit of uh, the way that someone behaves, right? And we know that they don't save you. They don't add anything to your salvation. Um, and until you're saved, they're dirty rags. But deeds also indicate what your motivation is. So the type of work you do, it is a good indicator of what, what, what's, what's motivating you to do that work. If someone is motivated by money, you know it. I know the people at work that all the, they're just trying to do these very specific and strategic, they think strategic things that will show that they need a promotion. They're very concise about that. So their deeds reveal that they have a love for money. Do your deeds at work reveal that you have a love for Jesus? 
And that doesn't mean that all you do is talk about him. It doesn't mean that on your forehead you should tattoo the word Jesus. That's not the sort of thing. There's a lot of really bad examples out there. Your deeds at work have to do with the work that you've been given to do. And they should reveal your love for Jesus. There's a a quote attributed to Martin Luther that goes something like this. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does, does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Just say it like James, your behavior and your deeds are a testimony to, your, to the wisdom that's inside of you. And so give good evidence. Do good work. Verses... Uh, 14 through 17, compare and contrast God's wisdom and the world's wisdom, right? And, and that's no secret. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. And those, that compare and contrast comes up quite a bit, in, uh, especially in um, uh, the, the New Testament, but even in the book of Proverbs. And in verse 17, we get a nice list of the virtues that I read very slowly, peaceable Pure, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. If there's another way to maximize your workplace impact, it's by making sure you are just kind. Nobody wants to hear the gospel from a jerky Christian. And no God wants his character to be reflected by someone who's a snake in the workplace. So you need to be kind, and it's, going to be, it's hard to be kind to some people, especially those who, who actively, actively say anti-Christian things. I know. It happens in every workplace. But your, your love for Christ is, is bigger than your love for your, your own reputation. And, and your ability to convey who Christ is through your character is so important. It's crucial. So when you read that list, are you pure? Are you peaceable? Are you gentle and reasonable in the workplace? My role in HR, I'm often um, asked to deal with some tragedies. We've had a number of them even um, recently with with COVID. And um, it's a unique opportunity to start talking about things that aren't work-related necessarily. It gets a little bit personal. Do you care about what's going on in people's personal life? Do you show empathy? Or do you like, oh, they're, they're out sick again. Now I have to do their work. Those are subtle differences. But man, does it really impact an understanding of who you are. Just a side note that... Um, there's also a list here about jealousy, selfish ambition that is the antithesis. So not only is there a put on, gentle, peaceable, pure, full of mercy and good fruits, but there's a put off 
jealousy, selfish ambition, anything that undermines who you are and who you should be. Fourth, claim Christ. Claim Christ. And I want to, this is, it is, it is just a really important thing for us to consider. How do we share the gospel in the workplace? And uh, so I have talked to members of Grace Church who have been fired for uh, evangelizing. And I've talked to members of Grace Church uh, who have had the opportunity to win one for Christ at work. And um, I will say that the big difference is that those who just go to work to share the gospel forget that they're there to work. And so you, if you're doing the first three things on this list, you will have an opportunity to share Christ as a credible example of who Christ is, not as some crazy Bible-thumping Christian. Wouldn't it be great to first say, let me show you who a Christian is, and then say, let me tell you about the God who made you? And so be very careful. I just want to share a quick story. I'm not sure if she's in the room. Um, So I'm not going to use her name, but... I had a, a conversation with a young woman who's just entered the workforce, and she was um, given an opportunity to take on a, kind of a special assignment. And she said yes real quickly because that's what you do when you're brand new and you're like, special assignment, yes. And um, she found that that special assignment was to represent her company in a pride parade. And, um, and, and they didn't try to pull the wool over her eyes on, on that at all. Um, that was just, they just said, would you like to be part of this field marketing deal? And, um, and this was how they see field marketing going, right, is, uh, is, to, is to have this float. Um, and and it was, it was, that was a moment for her because she hadn't really talked about her faith uh, in the workplace. She hadn't really given uh, much information about who she was, but she'd worked hard. And so... She had a conversation uh, with uh, the supervisor and said, listen, I just need to let you know that I have a, a conviction that that's, that just is not something that I can support. Um, and I hope you understand that. And it went so well for her. It went so well. Do you know why? Because she did the other three things first. That's why it went well. She doesn't, she, they, they know she's a hard worker. She comes with great wisdom. She's wise beyond her years. She's, she's so good and diligent and getting things done. And she is kind to all. So no one's going to, no going to be surprised. Like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, it's all fitting together. Wouldn't it have been terrible if they're like, what, you're a Christian? That's so weird. I thought you were <laughs> <laughs> Like, or even worse, what if it was, well, I, you know what, you should just leave because you're not really good here, and now you're saying you won't do things, and like, you should just leave the company. No, neither of those resp- responses. And it, and it came out of uh, I, I, the cultivation work that she had done. So when I get questions about evangelism in the workplace, that's the kind I'm talking about. 
do everything like Christ and then tell people about him when you have that opportunity. Five, final thing, fifth point here, and then we'll, we'll close up. Don't go to work without praying. It's the same thing as going to work without God's word in your heart. Pray fervently. It is only going to get harder to be a Christian at work. I wish I had better news. But the better news that we have is that our hope is not in this world pulling the nose up on that plane. It's not going to happen. We might see small battles won. You might be able to join a company that really enables you to be everything that you want to be in Christ. Chances are it's, it's not. And so we're going into battle every day. Are you doing it after spending time with the captain and commander, the general? How much does he hear from you? We're called to pray for God's name to be made holy, right, in the Lord's Prayer, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Those prayers are so effective in aligning your heart with his will. The Lord provides believers opportunities to pray together, which is so so wonderful. And so I would just commit uh, to praying with one another for your work. And I think it's, a, it's, it's something that we spend so much time doing, working, but so little time praying for, uh, because it's kind of just something we always do. It's kind of a, it's kind of just a, it's like breathing. Are we, are we really praying for um, what happens when we go to work? It's, a, it's our greatest opportunity uh, to glorify God, and it is our greatest opportunity to sin at work. And so you got to come there with... with um, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving for what he's given you. The Bible has so much more to say on this. It could talk about the ant and the sluggard and the type of work ethic. It could talk about workers in the office and workers at home. There are so many different types of work. But I hope that what this has done is given you a foundation of, hey, work, work was created from the beginning, and we were created to do it. If you want more on these matters, uh, talk to uh, anyone who has been in the workforce for more than 20 years and is a believer. We've seen a lot, and, um, and I would in- encourage you to enjoy, especially those who are young in the room, to enjoy the discipleship of those who have come before you. You can also, um, I have, there's a, a list of books uh, that I think is supposed to be published somewhere. Um, I, I really enjoy Tom Nelson's Work Matters. That's the number one thing, uh, book that I always recommend um, on this. And John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life is also a good foundational one. Um, if you're burnt out, there's a book called Reset that I found really helpful. Um, uh, that's by David Murray. So... Uh, Those are just some book recommendations. And, of course, the homework of of listening to Abner Chow on uh, 1 Peter 2, I I think you'll find it very encouraging. So it's been wonderful to explore this with you today. Thank you for your attention, for your uh, 
technical uh, chops and skills in the interactive part. Uh, There's nothing happening in this room afterwards, so I will stay for as long as uh, anyone needs me to for questions. Otherwise, I will close in prayer and send you on your way to main service. Father, we are grateful uh, to be able to open up your word and in just about every uh, page of scripture see you pointing us uh, to what you intend for our lives. And in the, in the category of work, you have so much for us. And I thank you, God, that um, you were so clear with us on how you designed this world, how you created uh, everything around us to be a resource so that we could do good work and worship you in it and through it. I pray that we would see our work as active worship uh, even as we return to the, the workplace tomorrow. Help each in this room, whether they are uh, working full-time or looking to work full-time or uh, working 24-7 at home or whatever the work is that they have in their lives, that they would uh, seek to honor you and glorify you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>